0: Thanks for tuning in to our weekly message. Be sure to visit our website, weareheartland.us to find out more about the ministry and all of our upcoming events. Well hey everyone, it's great to be with you again today. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving and are doing really well. And I hope that that this Thanksgiving was special for you even though it may have been different. I know that this year's Thanksgiving was different for me. Normally I've told you this before, but my family and I joined with all of my brothers and sisters and their families. But this year it was just the five of us, Ashley, myself, and our three kids. But it was still special in its own way and no doubt one of the good memories that we'll take from this year. Well, as much as we all love Thanksgiving, One of the nice things about getting past Thanksgiving is that now everyone can finally agree it is appropriate to begin talking and thinking and preparing for Christmas, right? Before Thanksgiving, about half the population was already starting to prepare for Christmas. They put the tree up, they decorated, they started listening to Christmas music, and the other half of the population was pulling their hair out because they said, it's too early. But now Thanksgiving is over and we can all unite together in agreement that it is now perfectly appropriate to begin looking forward to and preparing for Christmas. Of course, we love Christmas here at Heartland. We love that there is a day set aside to celebrate the birth of our Savior every year. And personally, I love not just Christmas and the Christmas service here at Heartland, but I love the time that we get to spend together each year leading up to Christmas. Every year we do a special Christmas series in December, and while we're not worshiping together in person this year, I still believe that this Christmas series is going to be special, and so I want to invite you to join us each week for the next three weeks as we lead up to Christmas. Now, if you were to ask any child, what's the best thing about Christmas, what do you think that they would say? If your kids are anything like mine, they would say, the gifts. And I'm not just guessing that my kids would say that. I actually have proof. Just a couple days ago, my son said, kind of out of the blue across the room, he said to himself, man, I love Christmas. And I was listening from the kitchen, and so I asked him, I said, you know, hey, why? What's your favorite thing about Christmas? And his quote, or his response was, and this is a direct quote, he said, I want to lie to you and say that my favorite part is spending time with the family, but that's not true. It's the gifts. 100%, it's the gifts. <laughs> I laughed because he knew that's not really the politically correct thing to say. But then he added, but in my defense, Dad, all I've done for the last seven months is hang out with the family, so it's not like I need Christmas for that. Fair enough. There is something special about the gifts that we give to each other at Christmas. They're special for a couple reasons. First, they're special because we feel a sense of joy when we give a gift to someone that we know they're going to like. And they're special because because giving a gift to someone is an expression of how we feel for them. It's a tangible way to say, you matter to me and I want to express how I feel about you in a gift. And the gifts that we give to each other at Christmas are also special because they're a reflection of the idea and the belief that in the birth of Jesus, we were given the greatest gift imaginable by God Himself. God gave the very first Christmas gift in sending His one and only Son to be with us. I love that gifts have been associated with the birth of Jesus from the very beginning. Not only did God give us a gift in sending Jesus to be with us, but as you probably know, Jesus' family was given some very special gifts after after his birth. It's a famous part of the Christmas story that after Jesus was born, some wise men or magi came and brought gifts to Jesus. Now, how many of you have a nativity scene set up in your home? How many of you have multiple nativity scenes set up in your home yeah you overachievers you're the ones who decorated for Christmas before Thanksgiving right well if you have a nativity scene how many wise men do you see three and how many wise men were there we don't know we tend to think that there were three because we're told that they brought three gifts But we really don't know how many wise men there were. There may have been a dozen. There may have been even more than that. We don't know because we aren't told. But what we do know is that these Magi would have been very highly educated, very wealthy, and desperate to meet the one who they were anticipating to be the Savior of the world. Now how they knew that this this child was the Savior of the world, we aren't told that either. And that's one of those great questions that I want to ask God about someday in heaven. You know, hey, Lord, how did the Magi, who were not Jewish, who lived in some far-off, distant country, how did they know the star that they saw in the sky was going to lead them to the place where the Messiah was? Like, did an angel appear to them and tell them? Did they find out in a dream? Again, we don't know, because after their visit, we're told that they turned around and went back home. And by the time Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come along and they record their gospel accounts, some like 50 years later, nobody had any contact with these men. There was no way to track them down and to ask, hey, how did you know the significance of this child's birth? Well, no matter how they knew, for them to travel all that way and to give these gifts to this child was a big deal. And over the next three weeks, we're going to explore these three gifts together. We're going to talk about one gift each weekend that the Magi brought, and together, no doubt, we will come away from our time and our study moved by these gifts of Christmas. Today, as we begin the series, I want to read the story of the Magi in its entirety from the Gospel of Matthew, who recorded these incredible details for us. And so beginning in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we read the full account. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When the Magi arrived, they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. And then they opened their treasures and gave him three gifts, gold and frankincense, or as we read in the NIV, incense and myrrh. Like many of you, when Ashley and I had our first child, we also received some gifts, but the gifts we received were very different from the ones that Jesus received. Instead of gold and incense and myrrh, we received bottles and onesies and diapers and something called a diaper genie. Now, if you don't know what a diaper genie is, allow me the pleasure to fill you in on what this is. A diaper genie is a small plastic box that looks all nice and sleek and every time you change your baby's diaper you take the dirty diaper and you put it in this contraption and over the course of a day or sometimes multiple days this thing just smashes all the diapers down further and further together kind of like a trash compactor and it's gross. I'm not going to go into all the details because I know many of you are probably eating breakfast as you watch this on a Sunday morning. But let me just say, if you get invited to a baby shower anytime soon, just bring a stuffed animal or something. I don't know. Maybe if you're going to choose from this list, bring some incense. That would be a good gift to try to cover up the smell of the diaper genie that somebody else gives them. But the Magi brought gifts. They brought three very interesting gifts. And what we're going to find over the next three weeks is that each of these gifts served a very practical purpose, but also each of these gifts had a very deep spiritual meaning as well. Today, in the time that we have left, we're going to start with the first gift, gold. Now I probably don't have to tell you the practical benefit of gold. It's obvious, right? This was a very highly valuable commodity even back in Jesus' day. In fact, gold was seen as a very highly valuable commodity even further back than that. In the book of Genesis, we are told that Abram was a very rich man and that he, quote, had a lot of livestock, silver, and gold. Now I don't know if anyone has ever taken a poll and asked people today what their favorite gift is among the three gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus, but I have to imagine if somebody did take a poll like that, gold would win hands down. As Jerry Maguire so eloquently articulated, show me the money. We get this. We understand gold. We think, yeah, that's a good gift. Gold is like giving somebody cash, and who doesn't love being given cash? Well, actually, yes, that's actually very, very insightful and very true, even for Mary and Joseph. Because in the very next verse, an angel appears to Joseph and tells him that Herod wants to kill Jesus and that that he needs to move his family to Egypt until Herod eventually dies himself and then it would be safe to return to Israel. Well, as you can imagine, a move like that in the first century would have been very expensive. And for a poor couple like Mary and Joseph to move to a new country without a job lined up, without any connections, that would require a considerable amount of savings ahead of time. Most scholars agree today that the gold given to them by the Magi is probably how they financed their time abroad. But even more than the practical purpose of this gift, the gold represented something much more significant. Because gold was not usually given to a child that was born in a stable. It was a gift given to a king. And the Magi recognized from the very beginning the kingship of Jesus. In fact, if you remember from the passage we just read, we're told that Herod, that, that, that Herod, they, or they told Herod, I'm sorry, that they were coming to find the one who had been born, quote, king of the Jews. Just for fun, because at Heartland we believe church should be fun, I thought we'd do a quick timeout here and play a little game of name that king. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna show you an image of a king And it's your job, wherever you are, to shout out the name of that king, okay? Kids, if you're watching, let's see if you can beat your parents in this game. Name that king. Here we go. Number one, whenever you think of Simba, you think of the Lion King, yes. Number two, whenever you think of giant gorillas, you think of King Kong, very good. Number three, whenever you think about one of the greatest basketball players of all time, you might think of King James. Yes, he's at the top of the list for me. Uh, Number four, whenever you think of the Whopper, you think of Burger King. Yes, da-da-da-da-da, I'm loving it. Is that Burger King? I think that uh, it doesn't matter either way Uh, and finally whenever you think of rap music you might think of kanye west who correctly declared as the title for his latest album that jesus is king kanye i want you to know i agree with you man i know you're probably watching and i want to talk for a little bit today about jesus as king The kingship of Jesus is one of the doctrines that we see surrounding the entire life and ministry of Jesus. To illustrate that point, I want to show you one verse from before Jesus was ever born, and then another verse from well after his ascension into heaven, both of which point to his kingship. In Luke chapter 1, we read Luke's version of the Christmas story, of Jesus' birth story, and Luke goes back even further than Matthew does, and Luke tells us about the angel who appeared to Mary and told her that she was pregnant. Understandably, when this angel first appeared to Mary, Mary was terrified, but the angel reassured her by saying, and I quote, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. And here it is, his kingdom will never end. And so even before Jesus was conceived in Mary, we see this declaration that the birth of this child meant the arrival of a king. And then at the other end of the timeline, about 60 years later, 20 or 30 years after Jesus went back to be with God the Father in heaven, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to his protege Timothy. And in that letter to, Paul, or to Timothy, Paul wrote, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, and here it is, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. When Paul wrote this, he could not have said it with any more emphasis. This was a statement about Jesus' ultimate reign over the entire universe. Paul recognized and wanted Timothy to understand that Jesus is not a little k king. He is not a king in waiting. He will not be a king someday. He is not a king in title only. He is not one of the kings. No, 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 no. He is the king of all kings. And what is the implication of that for us? What does it mean that Jesus is the king of all kings? It means that his power and his authority are unmatched in all of the universe. That his power and his authority are like the left and right gloves of a heavyweight boxer. Just, just a couple of weeks ago, Dugan and I got together to watch the boxing match between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Did any of you see this boxing match? If you missed it, you might be thinking to yourself, Mike Tyson, didn't that guy box like back in the 90s? You know, how old is he now? Well, yeah, you're right. He's 54. And Roy Jones Jr. is 51. But let me tell you, after watching this boxing match, like, I would not want to take a punch from either one of those guys, even with them in their 50s. Because these men were huge. They were giants of a man. And when Mike would lean in and throw an uppercut, it's like you could just see the power and the force in his punch. Well, that's kind of like Jesus in a spiritual sense. And he's got power written on one boxing glove. And he's got authority written on the other. And thankfully, he is gracious and loving because there is no match for his power or his authority anywhere in the universe. Let me show you in Scripture what I'm talking about. I'll start with the the left glove of power. Power is, of course, the ability to control something. Having power means having the capability to exert your will on a situation. And even the demons recognized the power that Jesus had. Look at this one event recorded for us in Mark chapter 5. In Mark 5, we read that, that uh, Jesus and his disciples crossed the lake into the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, evil spirit. So here was this man who was filled with an evil spirit. And because of the strength of the spirit, nobody could restrain this man. He was so strong that whenever they would lock him down with chains, he would just tear the chains apart. This was a scary level of physical strength. But when he sees Jesus, even from a distance, he runs and he cries out for mercy because he recognized the power that Jesus had was so much stronger than his own power. And we see this power on display over and over and over again. Every single time Jesus healed someone, it was a display of his power. Every time he multiplied food to feed the hungry, it was a display of his power. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it was a display of his matchless power. Jesus' power is unmatched, but here's the incredible thing Jesus never used his power for his own benefit, not once over and over and over again jesus leveraged his power for the benefit of others he leveraged his power for those who were powerless and that's part of the reason that he is so worthy of our worship and our praise that's why he's so deserving because he uses his power for us jesus's title as king of all kings Is recognition of his matchless power and it's also a recognition of his unmatched authority having authority means having the right to do something it means having the right to make decisions to enforce the rules to give the orders if someone has authority over you it means that they are higher up on the chain of command that they are in charge not you Having authority means it's appropriate for someone to leverage the power they have. Power and authority therefore go hand in hand. Power is the ability to do something or get something done. Authority is the right to do it or to ask for it to be done. Not only did Jesus have the power to do things, he also had the authority which made it appropriate for him to do them. And we read about the authority of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. In Mark chapter one, we see that Jesus had the authority over evil spirits and not only did he have the power to control them and to call them out of people but we see in Mark number chapter 1 that they recognized that he had the authority to rightly demand it in Matthew chapter 9 we see that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins in John 5 we read that Jesus had been given the authority to execute judgment in John 10 Jesus claimed that he had been given the authority to lay down his own life whenever he wanted But not only that, that he had authority to take his life back up. This was a foreshadowing and such a huge one. To claim ahead of time that he had the ability to raise himself back to life after dying. How could he raise himself back to life if he was dead? Because only his physical body was dead. His spiritual body, which is really what we are at our core, was alive and well. And he had the authority and the power to raise his earthly physical body back to life. In John 17, we read that Jesus had the authority to extend eternal life to us. And after Jesus died and went to be with his father temporarily, he came back and spent 40 days with hundreds of his followers. And after those 40 days, right before he ascended into heaven, before their very eyes, look at what he tells them in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus. What a monumental statement. All authority in heaven and on earth are are, are given to Jesus. That's huge. Do you know that you serve a risen king Do you recognize the significance of that? Do you understand the magnitude of who he is? Do you understand the magnitude of the kingship of Jesus? I wish I could describe it better for you than I can, but my words can't do it justice. About the closest I've ever heard anyone articulate the magnitude of Jesus as king was an old African-American pastor named Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. In a sermon one time, he just went off on a tangent about Jesus as King. And a few years ago, my brother-in-law took a part of this sermon and he put some motion graphics to it. And because I can't do it justice, I just want to show that clip of his sermon to you. So take a look.
1: sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He the sick, he cleans the lepers, he forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captive, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge, he's a well of wisdom and a yoke is easy And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him For yet he's indescribable He's incomprehensible He's invincible He's irresistible Well, you can't get him out of your mind You see, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't admit him And you can't live without him Well, the Pharisees. When they found out, they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! Hey!
0: That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. And following this king has made all the difference in the world for me. But maybe you're asking, what does it mean for you? Well, it means that you're gonna be okay. It means that you're good. It means that you can face the pain that you've been running from. It means that you can address the scars you're carrying. It means that you have the strength that you need for the challenge in front of you. It means that you're gonna survive this drought, this financial drought. It means God's gonna provide for you. And while it may be a scary time, you are going to have enough. The power and authority of Jesus, of Jesus as King, means that your marriage is savable, that your broken relationships can be healed. It means that your addiction can be defeated and that your chains can be broken. It means that no matter what comes your way in life, your future is secure because you are a child of the King. The disciple John, who was so close to Jesus, near the end of his own life, was thinking about that very idea that you are a child of the King when he wrote this. In John 1, we read, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. You have been invited into the family of God. You are not a nobody who serves the king out of force or oppression. You are a deeply loved son or daughter of the king and we serve him out of the overflow of love and joy that we have received from him. The disciple Peter Adds in his own letter, he writes that you are a chosen people, and here it is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This was not written for some select group of people back in the day, it was written for you. You are a chosen people, you are royalty. As a son or daughter of the king, you yourselves are part of his royal family. And because we are royalty, we are not like we were before. We are not like everyone else around us. We are set apart. We are called out. We are God's special possession as sons and daughters of the king. And where the rubber meets the road is in the way that we live our lives. This is why we worship Him. It's why we sing to Him. It's why we serve and give our time and our energy when we have a hundred other things that we could do with our free time instead of showing up to serve. This is why we give. When the world bombards us with places and things to spend our money on, when it tries to sell us and tell us the lie that that we need to buy these things to be happy, we reject those lies and we give our money back to God, back to the King in an act of love and worship. And I wanna give you the opportunity to put this truth into action. As we approach the end of the year, I wanna invite you to consider giving a special financial offering back to your King above and beyond whatever you have given this year. This is the time of year when many of us begin to start thinking about like what we have given this year and have we supported the things that matter that are bigger than ourselves? Have we financially supported the organizations that that through which we are investing in in all of eternity? And so as as this time of year naturally comes to us, I want to invite you to worship the King. To recognize that your king has provided everything you have needed in your life. As you look back in your life, I'm sure you can imagine that even, or you can see that even in those lean seasons, he provided for you as a king provides for his son or daughter. And so as he has met your needs, as we approach the end of this year, I want to invite you to give a gift of your own, to the one who has given you the greatest gift of all. I want to invite you to make a year-end contribution, knowing that your investment in this ministry is going to pay dividends for all of eternity. If you would like to do that, all you have to do is go to our website, weareheartland.us, and click on the Give button there. I want to thank you in advance for your financial gift this Christmas. And I want you to know that I pray for you I pray that over the next few weeks, as we approach the end of 2020, and as we approach Christmas itself, I pray that this would be a special time for you. I pray that this would be a special month for you. I hope and pray that during this Advent season, you will be able to slow down a little bit. I hope that you'll be able to spend a little bit more time reading the Bible with God, letting Him speak into your life and into your spirit. And I hope that this will be a worshipful time for you this month. Really, that's the only appropriate response to the king. Our complete surrender and our total worship, our response to the kingship of Jesus should be that as the wise men's response. Look again at their response in Matthew 2, verse 11. We read that on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. As we close, I want to give you the opportunity to bow down and worship him. Maybe you're in a place where you can't physically bow down, but I want to invite you to bow down at least in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. And I want to pray for you And then I want to invite you to spend the next couple minutes simply worshiping our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to go back to the birth of Jesus, our Savior, and to see the example in the Magi who responded to the gift you gave by bringing gifts of their own. And Lord, as inadequate as the gifts we bring to you are. We know that you receive them with love and joy. And so, Lord, this Christmas, we want to give you everything we have in response to the love and in response to the gifts we have received from you. Lord, would we see you as King Jesus this Advent season? And would it be a special time of worship for us this month? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. For service times and details, head to weareheartland.us.